Good chilly and snowy morning. We're going to be reading from Luke, book 18, chapter 18, in the ESV. You can follow along in your Bible or it's on the screen up there. Give me a second. It's the rich ruler. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witnesses. Honor your mother and father. And he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have the measure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who had heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is possible for man, what is impossible with man, is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many things more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And asking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man may be by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he had said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him and telling him, Be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him glorifying God. And all the people, when they said this, when they saw this, gave praise to God. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your house. And we thank you for your anointing on Jackie as he brings your word to us today. Holy Spirit, open our ears and our eyes to hear and see what you would have for us today and help us apply it in our daily lives. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.
An important question was asked during our reading this morning, and that question is this, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? And this text is going to give us three answers. Those who follow Jesus, those who understand the gospel, and those who believe. That's who can be saved. This section begins with us in verse 18. It says, a ruler said to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus has an interesting thing to ask him. And so often we, we go too quickly past it. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. And a lot of people wonder, well, what, what, what is he saying? Is he saying he's not God? No, he's asking him, do you know why you called me good? Well, let me ask it to you this way. Would you ask an evil person how to get eternal life? You wouldn't? Crazy idea, huh? So, the man is, the ruler is placed between the horns of dilemma. Because what Jesus is referring to is, you wouldn't ask an evil person how to inherit eternal life. And I want you to know when you say I'm good, that the only one who's good is God. No, Jesus is making a proclamation of who it is that's standing before them. And we know that this rich young ruler was in a hurry. He, he had an urgency on his heart and mind. In Mark 10 verse 17 it says that as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So there's an urgency in this young man, right? There's an urgency to understand, to comprehend. How does this work? How, how is it that we enter into salvation? And so Jesus says in verse 19, he responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Jesus lays out the part of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, which deals with our relationship with fellow man. Did you catch it? He doesn't say anything that deals in, out of the Ten Commandments with our relationship with God. That's where the Ten Commandments start. If you don't remember, I'll remind you. <laughs> you shall have no other God before me, right? He, he lays out this, this concept. He says, well, you know what the law says. The law lays out for us these things. How it, how it is that we uh, should have or how our relationship with our fellow man should be governed. So he lays that out before him. And the, the rich young ruler responds. He said, these I have kept from my youth. Now, a lot of times we... We might mock at that. Like, no, dude, do we need to read these again? Right? Because you and I know that James writes that if you've broken one, you're guilty of how many? All of them. Right, right. But you see, he had an understanding, maybe we forget. That part of keeping the law under the, the legal system that the Jews had meant that when I failed, what did I do? I brought a sacrifice, right? 
I brought a sacrifice to the Lord to restore that relationship. And that sacrifice spoke of the truth of what Jesus is accomplishing on this very trip as he's headed toward Jerusalem. The sacrifice said someone else has to die and shed their blood for me to be clean. Because if you die, well, that kind of messes it all up, doesn't it? You're dead. So it's hard to live on in the power of God if you're no longer alive. But God sends His Son, and His Son is going to accomplish this work. His Son is going to die. His blood is going to be appropriated to you or to I, those who follow, understand, and believe. And in that, we can experience what it is to be a new creation created in Christ Jesus. He made me. The song we sang right before this is perfect because the Bible says we are not evil men that God died to to make good men. The Bible says you are dead men. God died so that you could live. Ephesians chapter 2 says that I was dead in my trespasses in sin. But God made me alive. That's why Jesus in John chapter 3 is talking to to Nicodemus. And he's laying out. And Nicodemus is basically asking the same question that the rich young ruler is, is asking here. Jesus says, except a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused and he says, well, how can I be born again? How, how do I enter again into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritually. Physically, we're alive. Spiritually, we are dead. Jesus Christ died to change that. We are broken. We were intended to be alive physically and alive spiritually. But all the way back in the book of Genesis, we read about the fall of man, the corruption of man, and the rebellion of man. The first ten chapters of Genesis is all about what's wrong with mankind. And what we discover in the fall is this little promise that God had made. If you eat, if you disobey, you will die. And they disobeyed, and part of them died. And from that moment forward, men were birthed after the image of Adam. Alive in the flesh, but dead to God. So Jesus Christ lays out and it, uh, the, the, the path. In Genesis chapter 11, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to disinherit the nations. They're in rebellion against me and I'm going to choose one man to be a light. That guy was Abraham. You remember? From Abraham, I'm going to make a nation to be a light. From that nation, I'm going to bring Messiah to be a light. From Messiah, I'm going to bring his church to be a light. All of it is the, the effort of God to, to illuminate the condition of man. I'm broken. That's what I mean by broken. I'm broken. I am alive in the flesh. Even Paul said, in my flesh... I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. Anybody ever feel that way? And the things I know I ought not to do, those are the things I do. Anybody else have a struggle like that? that that's the Apostle Paul. 
This is his struggle. But then Paul goes on, I thank my God and Savior Jesus Christ who makes a way for me. That's what it is to be a new creation created in Christ Jesus. That's why he's resurrecting me. He's giving me life. Where before I had no life. So this rich young ruler looks and he says, I've kept these. I've done these. I've followed what was prescribed in the law. The law said if I break them, I'd go to a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is standing before the rich young ruler right now, who's kneeled before him, calling him good. How do I inherit eternal life? So Jesus heard this and he said to him, One thing you still lack. He says to him, Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he said what? Come follow me. Now, I assume that if the rich young ruler had been a poor, dirty beggar, what Jesus would say, this one thing you lack, would be different. Perhaps. But there was something in the rich young ruler that was separating him from the ability to humbly come before God. Now right here we see humility in the rich young ruler, don't we? I mean, a rich young ruler wouldn't rush up to some, some teacher on the street, fall to his knees before him and ask him, how do I inherit eternal life if he wasn't humble? But what Jesus said brought him great sorrow. It brought him great sorrow because now what Jesus is saying has to deal with the other part of the Decalogue, the other part of the Ten Commandments. Jesus first starts and says, how's your relationship horizontally with your brothers, your sisters, the people you live with? Are you stealing, robbing, doing these things to them? Or are you, are you doing what the Word of God teaches? Oh, I'm doing those things. Well, then here's what's missing. You don't have the vertical relationship. You don't have the vertical relationship. And then he alludes to the rich young ruler who is God is. Now listen, we in the United States of America can relate. Because you and I have the same struggle that the rich young ruler has. Why? Because I don't have to go to God if I'm hungry. I go to the store. I pull out a card in my pocket. I put it into a machine. It checks my bank account, says I have money. They give me the bread. They give me the milk. They give me what I need. Because we have wealth, our wealth can get between us and God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. These are God's blessings. But God's blessings don't demand that you have a relationship with Him. God has given us good things for us to enjoy. That's nothing to be ashamed about. You don't have to feel guilty about it. God has blessed you. But you see, what they thought at this time was if you were wealthy, that meant God loved you. If you had what you needed to be able to take care of the things around you, that showed God's blessing. And the young man is wondering, is there something I still lack? Because I have wealth, and that, that most of my friends tell me that means God likes me. 
So Jesus said, get rid of that. And come follow me. And what did it show? Who was the thing he counted on most in his life? Was his money. Money is not evil. The Bible tells us what is evil. The root of all kinds of evil. What's the root? The love of money. Not money is in in, 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 Money is an inanimate object. It is a tool. Like any other tool. Can be used for good. Can be used for evil. Having the tool does not make you more loved or less loved of God. But if the tool laying before you is the thing you trust in most in life, then you should hear Jesus' advice to the rich young ruler. He says, get rid of what you are trusting in that's not me. What do you, some people, some people trust in a lot of different things. And we, we should be able to relate to that. I, I notice it when I travel other places. You know, I, maybe it's been a while since I shared, but I went, I had an opportunity to go to Iquitos, Peru, which is in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. It's a city in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. We went there. We were doing pastoral training for river pastors. That means people that were in villages up and down the Amazon River. The, the easiest way to get to them, you either, you, you either have to go to them or they have to come to you. And the easiest way for them to come to you is to Aikido. So some guys, some pastors out on the river, got in a canoe, paddled on the Amazon River for a week just to get to this conference. And so we got to this conference and we're teaching them Bible study methods. We're giving them all Bibles because they had one Bible that they tore apart. And they would pass the, the books of the Bible around to the variety of pastors because they didn't have a Bible. So we brought in Bibles for everyone who would come. We, we put them up in the, the hotel in Iquitos. is not what you would think of. But we put them up in a hotel. And we made sure that they got their meals covered and, and all of this stuff. And we went there to, to, to try to train them up so that they'd have an opportunity to be the best pastors they could be in the bush. And as I was going, right before I left, I had had a, my second back surgery and, and I'm not very obedient. And so I was having problems with it. And uh, my, I, we begged my wife and I begged our surgeon, who always knows better than your surgeon, always knows better than you, right? Just in case you didn't know that. That is my sarcasm coming out, in case you didn't know. Um, I, we begged him, staple it. And he said, no, 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 glue works good. No, please, staple it. No, 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 glue's perfect. So my incision opened up. And so we have this big, wide gnarly looking incision on my back and I'm going to Amazon and we're worried about infection and what could happen and and I already have an infection so he gives me these pills and he gives me I don't know I still don't know why he gives me a bottle like that tall of infection fighting pills and so I took it with me to the Amazon and we're there and all these pastors are coming and they're doing their thing and we're teaching them and I meet this guy who fell out of a tree and his body popped open 
like a gourd, and he was open from his ear all the way around his belly to his hip. And he had all these stitches, but they couldn't, you know, he's walking around. He come to the conference like that. And he, uh, he's, he's not walking very fast, but he was walking. And uh, he said, I, we can't stop the infection. And so th- there's nothing they could do. And so he didn't know what to do. And, what, and so I, I go, wait a minute. And I go into my bag and I pull out this giant bottle of pills. And I go, you know, maybe God sent me here all the way from, you know, the United States just to hand you this. And so he took them and he healed up. Now... Maybe you want to hear, you know, that, that God healed him. I'm telling you, he did. God just does things different ways. It's not always supernatural. Sometimes it's naturally supernatural. You understand what I mean? But the point is, in the United States, I would never have to worry. But the guy in the jungle, what's he going to do? They're either going to pray and trust in God. Lord, where I put it in your hands. And so they had laid hands on him and they had prayed over him, but they didn't close. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And so here comes this guy from the United States with a silly story with a back surgery gone awry. And he's got the pills you need. God brought them, put them in his hand. And that pastor is still serving in the middle of a keto as a result. We don't have to trust in God like that. We just go to the doctor's office. What's my point? My point is, we of all peoples around the world need to take a check on where we are at. Do I really trust God? Am I So who then can be saved? Those who are willing to follow Jesus. The words are the easy part. Do you guys get that? The words are the easy part. So how do I know who then can be saved? The one who will follow him. Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell everything, give it to the poor, come follow me. What happened? The rich young ruler went away sorrowful. That's the opposite of inheriting eternal life. That's standing before life eternal and not liking his answer and walking away. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, listen, it says this, Jesus looking at him, loved him. He saw what was happening in this man's heart. He saw what was going on in him, and he, he has an answer to him. But in Luke 18, 23, it says, But when he heard these things, he became very sad. Why? Because he was extremely rich. Oh, 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 eternal life means I let this stuff go. Now, I want you guys to remember this story because next week you're going to see the opposite of it. See, the Gospel of Luke is put together in such a way that the context of the examples and the stories that Jesus runs into are going to then be lived out. Next week, you see a little guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector. Was he rich? You know what you're going to watch him do? You're going to watch him meet Jesus. You know what's going to happen? He's going to give everything away. You know why? Because it doesn't matter to him anymore. It's not a requirement. It's not like if you get saved, you have to give away all your money. Well, maybe you do. I don't know what your thing is. But you have to get rid of whatever it is you're placing your trust in in lieu of him. It might be me. Because most of us trust in ourselves. 
Most of us trust in our own reasoning. Most of us trust in our own abilities. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to trust wholly in me. So get rid of anything you're trusting in and trust me. Come follow me. Come follow me. How can we be saved? We follow Jesus Christ. Verse 24, Jesus seeing that he had become sad said this, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's easier to trust the money than it is to trust God. I have it. I have it. Sometimes I get sick. I get a toothache. I go to the dentist. He fixes And not one time in my mind that I think, not one time that I think, I, I, I didn't even pray about that. Why? Because I trusted my money, my ability, my, the, the place I live to take care of it. And what the Lord is asking is for people to trust Him like that. Not our affluence. It's hard because we're so affluent. We got everything. I mean, even the poorest of us, we have everything. It's all around us. Uh, When I went to Russia and minister in Russia, you have to go to the store to find out what you're going to have for dinner. There's no Costco. There's no, at least not when I was there. There, you went to a little corner market, and you walked in, and you say, do you have bread? And if they said yes, you had bread that day. That's a little weird. When I brought Russian guys to the United States, they walked into a store, and they said, holy cow, what are you doing here? You got so much bread, we can have bread for the rest of our life just in this one row. Yeah, we have a lot. The question is, are you trusting God? Now, how can I check that? Okay, how do I check it? Are you following Jesus? Not just what do your lips say. Are you following Him? Jesus said this in the Great Commission. He said, Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them, that's important, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to this part. And teach them the things that I taught you. To, to see what, are we doing what Jesus taught? Are, are we being the kind of people like Jesus was? Right? We, we had those little bracelets. My wife rem, reminded me, remember the bracelets? What would Jesus do? You know, those are worthless in a world that doesn't know Jesus. I've, I've had unbelievers tell me what Jesus would do so many times. Like, how do you know what Jesus would do? Do you, do you know him at all? Have you, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Now, they could just as easily say back to us sometimes, have you? You remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, following Jesus means we start to look like him, right? We're hearing his words, applying them to our life, and they are changing us. Jesus said, how difficult is it for the, for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Let me, let me be very clear. The word for the eye of the needle is... An eye of the needle. Not some little skinny door you can somehow squeeze through. That ruins the whole point of the story. What's the point of the story? Listen, you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. 
They would look around at each other and say, well, the guarantee someone can be saved because all these rich people got saved. They must be saved because they're rich. And Jesus said, nope, rich people aren't saved. And that ruins their, their whole mind is blown. If a rich person can't be saved, then he asked the question, right? Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? Glad you asked that question. He said, what is impossible with men? That doesn't mean it's possible if you try hard enough. He said, what is impossible with men? That does not mean it's possible if you try hard enough. What is impossible with men is possible with God. For our God is able to save to the uttermost. That's what the word declares. He's able to save to the uttermost. Man cannot save himself, but God can. That's the whole point of the coming of Jesus Christ. Their life eternal is standing before this man who stood up and is walking away sorrowful. He's walking away from the answer. And the disciples say, well, who can be saved if the rich aren't saved? And Jesus say, man can't save himself. That's why we're headed to Jerusalem. I'm about to make a way. I'm about to provide. In fact, that actually leads to the next part, right? So Peter said first in verse 28, But see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Does it cost you something to follow Jesus? Ask a, ask a Muslim who becomes a Christian if it costs him something. Peter says, Lord, we left all. Our, ship, our, our, our fishing boats, they're all gone. And we're separated from our family. And, and as we follow you these three years, I mean, there's, there's been some, some hardships, some things that they had to give up. And the Lord says, but don't worry, if you follow me, you'll get more. He's not talking about more materialism. He's saying if, if you're separated from family because of the choice you've made, you're going to gain family in the family of God. If you're cut off from mother or brother or wife or children, you'll find mother, brother, wife or children that have the same story together in the family of God. My church family is closer to me than my human family. Now, that doesn't have to be that way for everybody. It's just how it is for me. I'm thankful for the family of God. I'm thankful that God's word declares you as my brothers and sisters. You as my friends and family. That's why we have a Christmas party with you. Because I, I want to be able to enjoy the family of God. I want to be able to enjoy my brothers and sisters. And remember this promise. Jesus said it that way. Sometimes when you follow Jesus. Other relationships got to go away. That's not because that's what you want. I don't want that. But sometimes when I name the name of Christ. It requires it. No. 
Sometimes you got those friends who say, look, if you're about Jesus now, I don't want to be about you. Or you have family that says, oh, if you don't think like I think or worship like I worship, then you get cut off. Here's the reality. Jesus says that in the family of God, when you follow Jesus, you get a new family. And that family you will be with forever. So learn how to get along. You will be with them forever. Who then can be saved? Not only those who follow Jesus, but those who understand the gospel. Look at verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Well, that sounds foreboding. That's because it is. He's giving witness to the purpose of God. That purpose is that the Old Testament scriptures told them of the shape of the Messiah's ministry that he would suffer and his vindication, that he would rise again. That's that's what he's alluding to. Hey, we're headed to Jerusalem to accomplish all this. Listen, sometimes it's hard for people to understand. Right now, if we were in the story... None of those people are saved yet. The disciples aren't saved yet. That doesn't happen until John chapter 20. The rich young ruler, he's not saved yet. The Pharisees, nobody's saved yet. Jesus is bringing his twelve alongside. He's gathering them together with him and he's bringing them to the cross. And they're going to experience things that are crazy, the heights and the depths, but it's not until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he stands before his disciples and says, as he breathes on them, receive you the Holy Spirit, now they're saved. And the day of Pentecost, that's why the book of Acts is so important, that's moving forward. Jesus is proclaiming an event that's coming. And he's always proclaiming that event that's coming. This is the seventh time he said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. I'm doing that work. And when that happens, now salvation is made possible. That's why the scripture says that that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison. Euangelion. That he went to the depths of Hades. The the word simply means the grave. He went to those who had died. The Bible tells us that Hades is divided into two parts. The righteous dead, meaning they believed what God's word said, that a deliverer was coming. And so they lived their life looking for their deliverer. They went to the Abraham's bosom, the righteous dead. Those who didn't believe, didn't care, didn't matter, they went to the unrighteous dead. They never get preached to again. Jesus went to the abode of the righteous dead. When he died and was three days in the ground and he proclaimed euangelion, he said, hey, I'm, I just died for you guys. In a few hours I'm going to rise again and the way is made for you. How many of those guys do you think denied him? Yep, I don't believe you. Oh, you're right. They lived their life by faith. They were looking for the promise. Hebrews 11. All these died in faith, looking for the promise, but never seeing it. Until that moment. Until that moment. 
So all those who died in faith prior to Christ, they, they rise with him. The resurrected king resurrects me. He resurrected them. He made them alive. He brought them to heaven. He does the same for us. But it's by his death, burial, and resurrection. Do you understand the gospel? The purpose of God. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He wrote all that before it happened. This is what they're going to do. How did he know that? Because Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah 53. Long before the event. He said, this is what's going to happen to Messiah, the suffering servant of God. And the power of God will be displayed. How will the power of God be displayed? Because on the third day he will rise again. He never told them, I'm going to die and be buried. Except that he told them, I'm going to die, be buried, and rise again. I'm not staying in the grave. Death cannot hold eternal life. You understand? Death can't hold life. Jesus is going to die in the flesh. His human nature will die. His divine nature does not die. God can't die. His divine nature is still busy while the body's in the ground. His divine nature goes and proclaims to the spirits in prison. Proclaims a message of salvation. Abraham's bosom is empty today. The only souls left in Hades are the ones awaiting final judgment. He brought them out. And then when he rose, he went to his disciples, who are still dead men. And he breathed on them, which is exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 2, when he made man in the first place. Do you remember? There's Adam on the, on the floor, ground, whatever. All formed of the clay. And the Bible says God breathed in him the breath of? Oh, imagine that. All the pieces fit together, folks. They all coalesce. He breathed on his disciples and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And they came to life. Those are the first people saved. The At that time, 11 disciples. And then the day of Pentecost happens, and you have 3,000 souls added, and in chapter 4 you have 5,000 souls added, and on and on till today. On and on the Spirit of God moves. Why doesn't God judge? Why doesn't God return? Because the Bible says He, does, he doesn't glory in the destruction of the wicked. If Jesus comes back, that's judgment day. You get that, right? Judgment day. If you don't know what that means, get last Wednesday's tape. I talked all about it. What the day of the Lord looks like. What the day of the Lord is all about. The point is, who can be saved? Those who understand the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. He died for my justification. He rose for my sanctification and glorification. Fancy words that say it's in his actions, his death, burial, and resurrection, that a way is made so that I can be saved. What's that way? Putting my trust in Jesus Christ and following Him. Do you understand the gospel? The gospel is not be good. 
be good should happen if you're following Jesus, right? The gospel is Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. But what does it say about the disciples in verse 34? But they understood none of these things. Yeah, they're not saved yet. They will. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he said. What's that talking about? That's talking about the reality of what the scripture lays out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3. It says, if our, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. What's the light of the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried, rose again. That his blood washes me clean. This is the gospel. This is the good news. How come the the disciples don't understand? They don't understand these things at first, according to John 12, 16. But when Jesus was glorified, meaning when he rose again and ascended into heaven, then they remembered these things. Because they have the Spirit. The Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings life. In Luke 24, 45, it says one of the last things Jesus does to his disciples, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. He opened their minds to understand. So who then can be saved? Those who follow Jesus. Who then can be saved? Those who understand the gospel. Who then can be saved? Those who believe. Look at verse 35. So as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. Another guy we have something in common with. Before we know Jesus Christ, we are... You guys know that old hymn, Amazing Grace? Right? Doesn't it say something about being blind in there? I once was... But... How do you see? As Jesus Christ has saved you. So you have... This blind man, we know his name is Bartimaeus by the other Gospels. And he hears the crowd, and the crowd is making all this noise. So he asks them, what's going on? They say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he cried out, Jesus, Yeshua, Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, just stop there. If you've been paying attention in Luke, that should remind you of something we talked about last week. Two prayers. Pharisee and a tax collector. You remember? The Pharisee said, thank you Lord that I'm not a dirtbag like that guy. The tax collector said, Lord have mercy on me a sinner. So you have blind Bartimaeus crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's not an accident that it's following that story. Have mercy on me. Those in front of him turn around and say, shut up. Maybe Jesus is trying to talk. And they want to be able to hear what Jesus is saying, right? So they turn around and say, be quiet. But he cried out all the more. The more they told him to be quiet, the louder he got. And he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Here's the important part. Son of David is an affirmation of who Jesus was. A lot of times people think Jesus' last name was 
Christ. You know, Christ is a title, right? Jesus is a name. Jesus, Yehoshua, means God is salvation. The name Christ means anointed one. The way to say anointed one in Hebrew, I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word. You ready? The way to say anointed one in Hebrew is Messiah. You didn't even know. You've been saying that already. I cheated. Yeah, that's Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Christ means anointed one. Another way to say the anointed one was by who the anointed one was. The anointed one was the son of David. So what is he saying to Jesus? A blind guy is saying to Jesus, you're the Messiah. He's saying, Yehoshua, God is salvation and you're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the anointed one. It's you. It's you. That's what he's shouting. So the scripture tells us, Jesus stopped and he said to him, uh, he came near to him and asked him, what do you want me to do for you? This is important. What do you want me to do for you? He said, help me recover my sight. So the Lord said, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. What does this have to do with who can be saved? Just like we are dead men who need to be alive, and we're made alive in Christ, we are blind men without Christ who need to see. How do we get to see? Well, we ask. Just like blind Bartimaeus, Lord, open my eyes. Help me see. That's what the hymn writer in in Amazing Grace was talking about when he said, I was blind, but now I see. I I don't see because I didn't ask. I see because I said, Lord, give me eyes to see. Lord, soften my heart. Open my ears. Open my eyes. These are prayers that we ought to be praying, right? Right? That's how we come to faith. We have orchestrated a proper prayer to get saved. You guys have heard of that? Did you pray? Have you prayed the sinner's prayer? You know, that's not in the Bible, right? I I hate to ruin your parade. That's not in the Bible. God doesn't want some orchestrated prayer that, that somebody prints off on the back of a flyer to be that which saves you. What he wants to save you is... A sincere heart that says, I want to follow you. I understand the gospel and I believe. How do I come to faith if I'm a dead man? How do I come to faith if I'm a blind man? I ask God, open my eyes. And you know what he does? Just what he did for Bartimaeus. What did he do for Bartimaeus? I'm too busy. I don't like you. You smell funny. You're a beggar. No. What did he do? He said, okay. That's what the scripture means when it says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why it can say, Whosoever. Because all you have to do is call on Him, Lord, help me see. Let me recover my sight. I want to follow you, Lord. Help me follow you. This is a life dependent on God. Not dependent on my money. Dependent on Him. Help me follow you. You struggle with understanding the word? God, help me understand your word. This is not complicated life. That's what a believer's life looks like. Who can be saved? 
The one who's not too proud, but willing to say, Lord, help me follow you. The one who's willing to say, Lord, help me understand your word. The one who's willing to say, Lord, open my eyes so I can see you. Those are all prayers God answers. And they are all keys to salvation. It says in verse 43, don't miss this, immediately he recovered his sight. What's the next line? And he followed him, crazy, glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it, people are fickle. Just a minute ago they were telling them to shut up. So to be honest, I don't really care what the people say. (laughs) But all the people are praising God. Hey, praise God. Ten minutes later they're going to say, crucify him. Watch out for fickle crowds. But what we see, man, his sight, he recovers his sight. And when he can see, what does he do? Follows Jesus. What is he going to understand? He doesn't understand it yet. He hasn't died, been buried, and rose again. But what will he understand? The gospel. Yeah, all of these things, they all fit together. They all plug together. Who then can be saved? Those who follow Jesus. Those who understand the gospel. And those who believe. How do I know you believe? Because you depend on God, not on your stuff. You depend on God, not on your things. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you to praise your holy name. Lord, I thank you that you accomplished the act of salvation. That it's your work. That you died. You became the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Who purges. Who provides. And how is it that my sin is purged? My sin is purged when I am in Christ Jesus. According to Ephesians. I need to be in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 say, How do I get in Christ Jesus? I get in Christ Jesus, when I heard the gospel and I believed. And then I became, I came, I entered into the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, we are just men made perfect by Christ. So my response is, I follow him. I trust in his gospel And I praise God that he opened my eyes so I could see. So if you're here this morning and you can't see, I pray God you open their eyes. Your spirit would move in this place like a rushing wind blowing out the dust. Open up eyes to see. Open up hearts to be humble. To receive what you have provided. God, I pray that we would allow your word to be the thing that shapes us and molds us and makes us. That we truly learn how to love our neighbor because Jesus says to love our neighbor in Leviticus. I, th- I pray, Lord, that we truly learn how to, how to be kind to one another and, and forgive one another and And have tender mercies and loving kindness. 
Because the word of God tells us that in Ephesians 4 and because you told us that in the book of Exodus. God, it's all one story. It all tells us one thing. That man was dead in his trespasses and sin. But God has made a way that we can be alive in him. So open eyes, Lord. Open hearts. That men and women would stop suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And a love and desire for their sin or their material things. And set those things aside so that they can have a love and desire for you. Because salvation is of God, not of man. So Lord, I pray that we would bow the knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. For you are worthy of our praise. I pray, God, that you would be glorified and magnified in this place as we turn our hearts toward you. I pray, Jesus, as we worship, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, they come forward and find one of these prayer counselors that will be up front. And you get to know them. Because if God's laid that on your heart, then he has opened your eyes. And now you, like a rich young ruler, are kneeled before the King of Kings, the light, the life of men. And he's showing you the way. Won't you follow him? Lord, I pray as we worship, your spirit would move and men would come. Women would come, children would come, whoever. And those who are up front will be able to share with them and pray with them. God, I pray that you would add to your family today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.